Welcome to Because It Is, a conversation about faith, justice, and other things that matter. This podcast is hosted by Second Baptist Downtown in Little Rock, Arkansas. Second Baptist is a vibrant, historic downtown congregation whose faith compels us to seek justice, care for the oppressed, and pattern our lives after the way of Jesus. We are a unique Baptist church that prioritizes diversity and inclusion for all. In this episode, Kevin and Brittany interview Pastor Preston Clegg about the intersection of faith and justice. We discuss the importance of community and joy in the work of justice and the role faith plays in our activism. We reflect on this conversation with two church members who live out these values in their day-to-day lives. Join us as we consider what it means to be a place where faith and justice meet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to season four of Because It Is. We're excited to be back this season and have some really fun and new things coming in this season of our podcast. Today, I have a co-host with me to do some interviewing, our newest staff member, Associate Pastor of Social Work, Kevin Pranato. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's so good to be here. Glad to have you. Today, we're going to talk about faith and justice. Every episode, we start with an introduction that describes our podcast as a place where we talk about faith, justice, and other things that matter. And we love to say that 2BC is a place where faith and justice meet. And today we wanted to explore that a little bit more. Kevin, you're the newest person on staff. So where have you seen this in your short time here at Second Baptist? I think that Second Baptist has such a rich history of doing justice work in the city of Little Rock and beyond. And it really infiltrates everything that we do. Um, Everyone at Second Baptist really has a heart for seeing transformational change in the community and in each and every one of their lives. And they really want to model that through racial equity, through LGBTQ inclusion, and beyond. Um, In my short time here, I've seen it in the way that we treat our neighbors who might be of lower socioeconomic statuses and how we try to um, really work with them to make lasting change where they get to improve their quality of life. That's great. I am really glad to be at a church like Second. I talk to our youth all the time about forming their faith and being followers of Jesus. And so we're at a place where that, what you study on the fourth floor as a youth and what you study in Bible study or in worship goes hand in hand with how you live your life. And so I'm excited this season to talk about some of the particulars of what it looks like to be people of faith and people of justice. I love that. Um, Listeners, this season, we're going to try something a little new. We want to know your thoughts and questions around faith and justice. So we'll take time um, in future episodes to address any questions that you might have, and we hope you'll send those to us. Kevin, how can they send us those questions? So through Instagram, Facebook, email, feel free to um, look us up at 2BCLR on Instagram, and you can DM us right there or private message us on Facebook, your questions. You can also send your questions at info at 2BCLR.com. 
and we'll make sure to field those questions on our next episode. I think that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing what people have to say. So send us your questions, y'all. Well, usually Preston is in our seat today doing the interviewing, but today we wanted to interview um, the Reverend Dr. Preston Clegg about what faith and justice looks like. He shapes us so much in all that he does and says um, in our community and in our in the pulpit and in Bible study and in the way he lives his own life. And so we want to talk a little bit more about faith and justice and justice with Preston. So Preston, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. It's weird to be on this side of the uh, interview table. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We'll see if we can live up to your interviewing hosting status. All right. So we're really excited to have you as our interviewee. Um, Preston. I'm scared to death. <laughs> <laughs> you should be a little bit. We won't be too difficult, but... As the pastor of this church, you are really setting the direction for um, how we live this out in our lives, not just individually, but collectively as a church too. So we're really interested in hearing your thoughts about faith and justice. And I guess I just want to open us up with the question, where does faith, what does faith have to do with justice? And what does justice have to do with faith? Yeah, uh, I spend a great deal of time thinking about that uh, because of what I do uh, in this place. And uh, we say on this podcast, and even it's a slogan at second, where faith and justice meet. It's not faith or justice to us, it's faith and justice. And yet it's the and that I think is carrying a lot of weight in that slogan. And when I scan the horizons of our culture, I see a great deal of faith, right? In, in our city, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of churches. And I see a lot of justice talk. But oftentimes, um, the faith and the justice don't seem to dance well together. So I see a lot of faith without justice. Uh, I see a lot of churches that are hesitant to speak about matters of justice. I, I think that's for several reasons. One, I think in the West, we, we have been breathing radical individualism in Western culture for centuries. And so when you talk about theological categories like sin or salvation or peace, what people hear when you say those words are individual realities, that salvation is my soul being saved. Sin is something I or you do as individuals, but we've lost the capacity to think about uh, social realities, that people are social creatures, and our systems shape us even as we're shaping our, our systems. And so when you lose systemic thinking and can only see the world in terms of individual realities, you sort of lose the compunction for justice too because salvation is only about the individual and their soul and God, right? And then and then kind of sort of justice if you get to that. Uh, but that's that's sort of a peripheral thing. It's it's the icing on the cake, not the cake. Meanwhile, Jesus in the Gospels is talking about the kingdom of God here and now, right? Uh, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's a social reality. 
So I think we've lost justice because of our individualism. And I think we have a lot of transactional religion in our culture where salvation means something sort of almost magical. If you do X, you get Y. If you pray this prayer, poof, you're saved. And therefore, justice doesn't really make sense in that theological matrix. So I see a lot of faith without justice. And to be honest, I see a lot of justice without faith, too. Um, and some people would even say the church is more a roadblock to justice than a conduit of it. And maybe we can talk about that more later. Uh, I, I do have a concern, though, about when we divorce justice movements from faith communities. One is, I don't, I don't know what sustains you when the going get, gets tough in justice work apart from faith. How do you keep going when you can't see the evidence that day, right? Like, that demands some degree of faith if you're going to keep at that for the long haul. I also think faith gives us like transcendent ground. And here's what I mean by that. I can have my personal ethical system and my personal justice convictions apart from faith. But how do I start advocating for like social justice unless I believe that there is some transcendent ground that we all should aspire to? me, you, and everyone. Um, I think in our culture, there's a lot of people talking past each other on justice terms because we're talking about like competing justices or competing interests. Again, because all we can think about it is in terms of ourselves and, and individualism. But faith gives us a transcendent ground. For example, what would compel a person to care about something that's not in their personal interest to care about, right? Why, why, would, a, why would a white person care about justice uh, for black folks in North America uh, if they don't have to care about that? Why, why should the rich care about the poor? Why should men care about the travails of women in our culture? Why should straight cisgendered people care about the LGBTQ community in our culture, unless there is some higher ground compunction that compels us to do that. And I think, uh, I mean, it can go by different names, but for me, it's faith that is that higher ground that's bigger than just my interests and your interests. So I think justice works, ba works best with faith and faith works best with justice. It's faith and justice. I think I hear you talking about justice as um, a way of looking out for the common good. And right. it's faith that inspires us to want to look out for common good. Um, right. and, and scripture and the words of Jesus that teaches us what it looks like um, to care for all people. That's right. And too often the church has stood in the way of this. I think you used the phrase roadblock earlier. Uh, uh -huh. So how has the church gotten in the way of justice? Yeah, um, I think we've gotten in the way of justice because we've, we've lost our proximity to human need. Um, 
we've stood more proximate to power in our culture than we have stood proximate to people who stand in need. And therefore, we can't advocate on their behalf because we don't know them. Uh, we don't know their struggles. We don't know their joys. We don't know. Uh, we don't know what they really need. Um, when I was pastoring in Waco um, several years ago, Katrina struck New Orleans, and several uh, refugees from New Orleans landed in Waco. And the church put out an all call uh, in the association: "We need food." So here I come in my car bringing casseroles and bread from people in our church, and I dropped them off um, at this church and intended to leave because I had a lot of important things to do. And the lady who was uh, sort of setting the food out says to me, why don't you stay and eat with the refugees? And I said, no, we, I just want to feed them. And she goes, why does everyone want to feed the poor, but no one wants to eat with them? Oh, um, she nailed me that day. And so I think one of the ways the church has been in the way is we've become proximate to power and wealth more than we've become proximate to uh, human need and the least of these. Uh, we've, we've inverted the great inversion of the kingdom of God, and that's a problem. I also think uh, we've we've begun to care more about the institutions of the church than the identity of the church. And, you know, let's be honest about this today. Justice work is hard work. And it stands to reason that if you talk about things that matter, like policies and structures and procedures, someone's going to get upset, right? Someone might even leave your church. But isn't there a higher calling than the calculus of who stays and who goes and what it does to the, bu the budget? Like, isn't there a gospel calculus that guides us in this work? So, yeah, I think the church oftentimes has been in the way of this work. But I must also add, I don't share the cynicism of uh, some people I hear. The church has also been the way in some of this work. Uh, you know, the same, the same uh, Christianity that uh, permitted slavery in this country also prompted some people to be abolitionists. Uh, the same faith that stood in the way of the civil rights movement also empowered the civil rights movement. Before Martin Luther King Jr. was a civil rights icon, he was a Baptist preacher. Like, that movement began in the church, the black church, um, the labor movement, the suffrage movement. The church has its fingerprints on those movements. So I'm not of the opinion that the church is in the way or that the church is the way. I think every church and the capital C church has to decide what Christianity we're participating in, which Jesus we're following, and whether we will be in the way or part of the way. I like what you said about the proximity to need. And I think a lot about, you know, we do like to be the ones feeding people. Um, we like to feel like we're the savior and that we are in control of some of this work, but to really dwell amongst people and to have relationships with them goes a long way. Um, 
something that is more difficult work as well. And I think that justice does require relationship. It requires the rightening of relationship. And maybe where this is, this is one of the ways where the church can lead the way in supposedly we're supposed to know what it's like to do community together, to be a very diverse group of people who come together uh, for the common good. So hopefully the church can rise to the occasion and be a part of the solution and lead the way in this regard of relationship. Yeah. I think we should have more potlucks. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. So Preston, um, what do you think is missing in justice work today? Yeah, I think um, several things. One, I think joy is missing in justice work. Like when you say the word justice today, I think a lot of people have an, a reflexive, uh, combative feeling about justice, right? If you're talking about justice, you're against something. But to our point about community and, and eating with people, What if justice, what if before it's against something, it's with something, right? It's for something. And part of that is um, the joy of being God's people, being justice people, being peace people. Uh, A few years ago, I went, uh, I was on a sabbatical and I was studying systemic racism and I was in Selma, Alabama. And there's a museum at the base of the Edmund Pettus Bridge uh, there in Selma. And I was listening to recordings of the people who marched across that bridge on Bloody Sunday. And one gentleman whose name escapes me said that what's missing in today's justice work is, he said, in our day, yes, we marched, but before we marched in the streets, we sang in the church. And I think, I think we've lost the singing, and, and I don't just mean the singing. I, I mean the joy, the aliveness, the for of justice work, the beauty of justice work. Um, I think we've lost the community component, to come back to that word. And I'm skeptical that justice work can be done by soloists uh, for long. Uh, I think we need communities to do justice work. Uh, I mean, one lone voice can be beautiful, but a choir of voices. Uh, one prophet on a street corner can be powerful, but if imagine if a church stood up and in unison said, this is wrong, or this is right, and this is where we stand. I, I think that could be really powerful. And the final thing I would say is, I, I do think there is transcendent ground that's missing in in a lot of our justice work. Uh, And I don't know how to not sound like a preacher when I say that, but I just think for a lot of people, we don't stop to think about justice for whom, right? Like, I'll give you one example. I spent a lot of time pastoring in Oklahoma. A lot of people in Oklahoma pay their bills because of work in oil fields, right? The Oklahoma economy is largely based on oil. So when you run around and you start saying, we need to be taking care of the earth, a lot of people say, hang on, wait a minute, that's not just for us. We would lose A, B, C, D, E, F, G if we did that. And 
there's an element of truth in what they're saying. But you have to help them see that there are competing interests here. And sometimes Mother Earth's interests need to be at the table as well. So until you have higher ground that you can stand on and call people to and say, it's not only your interests that are at stake here, I don't see us doing meaningful justice work for long. So I think we're missing the joy of justice work. I think we're missing the community of justice work. And I think we're missing the higher ground of justice work today. And as I hear you talk about community and higher ground, it feels like it's the community that helps us with the spirit discern that higher ground because my higher ground may look different than yours. And so when we come together in community, as we read the example of Jesus, as we seek to be followers of Christ together out of this faithful place, hopefully we begin to find higher ground and have accountability as we seek to discern that. Um, Community is hard work, but I think necessary work as we seek justice for all people. Absolutely. It's kind of beautiful to think about how we might be joyful warriors for justice. Mm-hmm. Um, Singing as we go. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. where have the songs of justice gone? Mm. We had songs during the civil rights movement. We had songs that brought us together and that instilled in us um, the spirit, right, of hope and love and peace. And um, I wonder what that would look like to to get back to that today. And I do think that is a that is an area in which the white church could learn so very much from the black church, right? It it's joy and justice. It's justice and joy. Hmm. That's good. Maybe be good students. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about community and about leading with joy. What is the role of the community in this work? How do how do we do this together? Um that's that's a difficult question to answer with words. I think that's a question we live, right? That uh, I learn from the people in my church uh about what justice is. I also think justice is a multidisciplinary uh, effort. Like, I'm a decent Bible student and a B minus theologian, but I don't know beans about economics. I don't know anything about psychology. I'm a hack historian, right? And so I think part of the beauty of community is it lets other people's gifts, graces, trainings, expertise uh, enhance my own. And hopefully the reverse is true as well. So the movement isn't bound by my singular gifts and graces and competencies, right? Uh, It's the, the community expands that horizon and it lets gifts and graces uh, dance well together. Um, I think community itself exposes us to different views, which is essential in justice work, right? Like there have been times where I've had to check myself. Like I thought I was doing it right. I thought I was saying it right. But, But just because you think you are doesn't mean you are. 
and I need the eyes and ears of other people whose perspectives and experiences can sometimes correct and always enrich my own. Uh, but you don't have that apart from community. The last thing I would say is I can't think of anything that I'm calling the world to that I'm also not asking the church to model, right? Like, um, I think one of the reasons we need communities that can embody these virtues is we can point then to those communities and say, see world, see the beauty of this, see the joy of this, see the rightness of this, like this can be done. And it's not just one lone individual. It's not just me in the pulpit pointing my finger at the world and saying you ought, but it's me like spreading my arms to the world and saying, look at this community at Second Baptist Church. Like, what if, what if this happened in the world? Look at the, look at the equity in this church. Look at the peace in this church. Look at the righteousness in this church. Uh, look at the forgiveness in this church. And of course, then that puts the burden on me and the church to actually, you know, do it. But, but that's the power of our message. It's not just a gospel preached with words. It's a gospel preached with lives. And that demands community. I don't see how, what does forgiveness mean to me if I'm not living in a community with at least one other person, right? Forgiveness is inherently a communal concept. Love, peace, all the Christian virtues are communal virtues. So yeah, I think it takes a community to live that out. I love how us as pastors, we gather together um, sometimes on Thursday afternoons and we discuss these hard things and we challenge each other. Mm -hmm. And um, I know Brittany challenges Preston a lot. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. And I just always have the right answers. So, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, but you, I think you need community to work it out, right? You've got to talk it out, think it out. We're an example and we're also practice. This is a good place to come and practice what it looks like to be just people in community. Um, that's right. And, you know, uh, I think that's a great example. Uh, Brittany haunts me, right? Like she can say things and argue with me and it drives me up the wall and I go home thinking about it. But, but the next morning I'm like, you know what? I had, I had not seen it that way until she said it. And so, um, you know, we're a church that affirms women in ministry. We've been affirming women in ministry for a long time, but there are ways in which you can affirm it with your words, but your practice, your practices, even with the best of intentions, not, not live up to those professions. So I think that's a great example of how we learn from each other. It's iron sharpening iron. It's uh, deep calling to deep, and it makes all of us better. And we're able to do that because we have good relationship. We're leaning into relationship as a staff and just how, how beautiful is that? We don't often see that in the world, but even with our different worldviews, different perspectives, experiences, we can still, um, yeah, sharpen each other and Absolutely. lean into one another. And talk about joy, right? Um, so much fun. Uh, <laughs> 
And also, I mean, and that's happening. We talk about the staff on Thursdays, but that's happening in Sunday school classrooms and in small groups and in youth Bible studies and in kids Mm -hmm. activities. I mean, it's happening all over the church. And so I'm excited about um, how that might, I hope, I pray, uh, extend past these walls and into the world. Um, Yeah. Me too. So Preston, um, before we end our time together, what keeps you hopeful in the midst of the difficulty, the challenges, all the events that are going on around the world that can be so discouraging? How do you stay hopeful in the midst of all that? Mm, that's a great question. You know, Brian Stevenson, who's been one of my uh, mentors and teachers, um, he, he's really my best friend. It's just that he doesn't know it at this point. Um <laughs> Brian Stevenson says, hopelessness is the enemy of justice, which means when you start to lose hope, you start, you stop trying, you stop caring. I mean, what's the point? So I think hope and joy, I would add joy again, are intrinsic ingredients to justice work. For me, um, again, I play the faith card, but I don't know, I don't know how not to play the faith card because it's so intrinsic in my hope that God is in this with us, that our God is making things whole and new Hmm. so that even when I sleep at night or even when I get something wrong, uh, hallelujah, the movement does not stop. The work does not stop. Uh, That there there are bigger muscles and bigger brains and bigger hearts and bigger resources at play here than just me than just my little old church, than just my little old Christianity, right? Like God, God is at work in this work. So that gives me great faith, uh, great hope um, in this. I also draw energy from people. Uh, I draw energy from the people I pastor who I see doing justice work in normal everyday ways, right? Like they're not changing the world, but they're changing their turf in the world, which is changing the world, right? And, and that inspires me. Uh, there are more prophets in the pews at Second Baptist than there are in the pulpit at Second. Um, I also think even, those, even though these are in some ways times of frustration and devolution it seems uh we're shadow boxing our demons as a culture i also see signs of great hope uh thursday night i went to an interfaith gathering here in little rock and it was a beautiful representation of the best of our city right like in little rock arkansas christianity islam judaism buddhism atheism (laughs) In that room, we weren't fighting each other. We were of one mind, heart, and soul. And it was a beautiful expression of justice and righteousness. So, yes, these are tough days. And we're being challenged in ways I did not think we would be challenged a decade ago. But I also see signs of hope that I didn't see a decade ago either. So, yeah, faith, community and pockets of goodness, resistance, joy, uh, that's where my hope 
comes from. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Good word. All right. Well, Preston, we are so grateful for your time and your presence and the way that you pastor us all. Um, we're really grateful for your leadership and for the wisdom that you've shared with us. Um, yeah, you challenge us all to put together these two faith and justice things we talk about all the time and inspire me to be a person of faith and a person of justice. And I know I'm grateful and I know our church is grateful. So thanks for the ways that you lead with words and by example. Absolutely. and. In closing, can I just say that it, it's difficult to be just when it feels like your job is in jeopardy or when it feels like you're going to tear your church apart if you talk about X or if you can't express your own doubts and confusion. And so can I just pause here and say, um, you know, I'm no prophet, but I am part of Second Baptist Church that lets me speak the truth best I can confess my own doubts and struggles and speak about hard things and the church doesn't burn down in the process. So for that, I give thanks. And um, yeah, uh, this work wouldn't be done apart from the community of Second Baptist. Amen. So thanks be to God for that. I think that that conversation was just, I don't know, it really highlighted something that I haven't really thought of before, which is how a lot of what we deal with in American, maybe even Western Christianity is this individual view of sin, an individualistic view of salvation and how justice really asks us to open ourselves up to community mm. and to systems. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Brittany? Yeah, he, uh, Preston really struck me when he talked about this radical individualism and then he named the list. And I just kept thinking about how we've made those things so personal, sin, peace, salvation. Um, and yet they're not personal at all. Like all of our wholeness all of our peace all of our salvation is wrapped up in each other um and we forget that i think a lot which is where justice falls away yeah so that really struck me as well community and how do we do this and it's almost like the community part's what makes justice so hard like if it was just one group of people that were all the same it'd be easy to know what justice looks like um and yet it wouldn't really be justice which is why I'm really an advocate for church potlucks i know some people <laughs> think that is disgusting no <laughs> And COVID killed them, and I want them back. But I think there's something really magical about them. Absolutely. Everyone has something to bring to the table. We get to try each other's different variations mm. of the same casserole dish. Um, of the same deviled eggs. <laughs> 12 different ways. I really hate deviled eggs. Oh, Kevin, open yourself up. Oh, I can't do it. <laughs> can't do it. There was also something about this conversation that struck me too, is justice and joy. It was a fun conversation and you wouldn't think that you would expect faith and justice to be such a heavy conversation, but the joy of it. Um, and it's a lesson. Can, can we learn how to shift our focus from what do we stand against to what do we stand for? Hmm. Um, would that make for more joyful conversations? 
Yeah, I think about how the kingdom of God is here and not yet. Mm. And how if we're living into this kingdom mindset of the kingdom of God being here right now and in anticipation of the fullness of the kingdom, like how much joy does that bring us? Mm. Like, how do we live into that fruit of the spirit? Um, And that's the joy that makes you want to keep going when it's hard. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to shift the conversation. We have some other guests with us here today. We have Vicki Hayden and Katie Mitchell here. I actually kind of know them from two different occasions. Vicki was a part of my Dine Around group. We didn't have a potluck. Well, we kind of did have a potluck. (laughs) So maybe that's why there's this great connection where we invited her in. And Katie took my spin class. So after the potluck, oh. you come with me to my spin class and burn all those calories off. Look at it. But, Community uh, right there. <laughs> Katie and Vicki have been a part of Second Baptist Church. Um, Katie being a bit newer and Vicki being a longtime member of our church. And Katie, how long have you been a part of Second Baptist? Um, we've been members for a little less than a year. We've been visiting for a year and a half. I mean, well, we're not visiting anymore, but <laughs> we visited for a few months before we placed members. So it's been over a little over a year. You are not visiting anymore because we have put you to work. <laughs> yeah, here I am. <laughs> Thanks be to God. That's right. <laughs> Justice. How about you, Vicki? How long have you been at Second Baptist? Well, it depends on who you ask. Um, my Heritage Club membership says I've been a member 55 years, but that has to do with the fact that my family moved away from Little Rock for a period of time when I was in high school. So I like to say I've been a member basically 60 years. Wow. That is incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm jealous of long timers. This job has kept that from being my story, but I'm going for the Heritage Club at second. There you go. <laughs> So I'm curious, as members of our church and people who are out in the community doing great work through your family, through your work, just everyday life, what does the intersection of faith and justice look like to you? And I'll just open that up. Whoever wants to start can start. Well, I think it started for me as a child. Uh, at second, because as a child, I remember our focus being on the least of these and the importance of realizing that Jesus taught us to be responsible and take care of the least of these. And that has carried through my my life, I think, is wanting to be certain that in whatever I did, I was trying my best to be sure I was doing something to help take care of the least of these. For me, um, I, you know, what Preston was talking about, the transactional salvation, you know, that's kind of how I grew up 
thinking that's what the cross was. Mm -hmm. Jesus is paying a debt for my, for my, my horrible sin. And because of this, I get to be with God forever. And it's kind of just something that's more of a transactional individualist way of looking at the cross. And, um, a few years ago, uh, I read a book that really opened my eyes to like different ways of thinking about what the cross is. Um, and it's, it's one of my favorite books and I highly recommend it. Anybody listening, it's called trains, Jesus and murder the gospel, according to Johnny cash. It's by a guy named Richard Beck. It is excellent. If you haven't read it. Um, but he, he describes the cross as an act of solidarity. So instead of looking at it as a transactional thing, um, looking at Jesus being crucified, like if you look at everything about that story and about his life, he was on the margins. Like he was even crucified on the margins of the area of the, of the community where, where he lived, where that all happened. Um, he was on the edge and he was, um, he just, he was with people. He was, you know, we talked about, Preston talked about how you, you want to feed poor people, but you don't want to eat with them. Well, Jesus was eating with them. He was dying with them. He died with them. Hmm. And um, Richard Beck says that, and he uses Johnny Cash as a, a good example because of his uh, wearing black, you know, the man in black. Well, he, you know, if you read about Johnny Cash, he wore black because he identified with the pain of people in the margins. Um, and so it's sort of a, a picture of that. And so anyway, you know, when I, when I first learned that it just zapped me in the head. Like, it was just like, we don't go to the margins to give Jesus to them, to bestow him upon them. We go to the margins because that's where he is. We find him there. And that that is just like mind blowing to me. That just changed my entire life. And so, you know, my family, we've gone through the same, we've had conversations about this. And so we wanted to make sure and find a church that sees people in the margins, not just as projects or as a little thing to put on our little church bulletin, but as a way to find Christ. Um, and we did find that at Second Baptist. We've really found that here. And um, so I say all that just because, I, I don't know, I just, it's just really, it, it's just really changed my life. Like, I really appreciate what you guys, the conversation, because it makes, you know, it really makes a difference. And that, oh, that's where, the, that's what I was going to say. That's where the joy comes from. Hmm. It's not, it's not because. I'm singing songs or eating at potlucks. I mean, that's great. Like I love this, but <laughs> that's where, like when we find Jesus, that's what joy is. And so the, there's not an intersection of faith and justice. That is, mm. hey, that is, that's a direct reflection of our faith. Mm. So there you go. <laughs> sounds like, um, that church from the very beginning has formed us in very different ways. Um, but it all keeps coming back to community. There's something that keeps drawing us back to a community that teaches us to see the margins, the least of these 
Um, I'm grateful to be a second that empowers me to do that. Um, yeah. I, Katie, I like how you said that, that faith is just, it's not faith and justice. It's just faith, which also includes justice. It's almost, have we gotten to a point where we have to break it out because we forgot that faith means justice. Um, I also hear this theme of utilizing our five senses mm. in this work, how we listen to people, how we draw near and maybe even touch people, hug people, um, how we eat together, we taste, we we see, we pay attention to what's happening around us. Um, it's really an embodiment of our whole being mm. in this work and in the way that Christ calls us to live out a life of faith. And I'm thinking about how that happens, like listening to both of you, I think both of your stories talk about how that happens both in the walls of this church and outside the walls of this church. You, you can't only be outside the walls of the church and you can't only be inside the walls of the church. You have to go to the margins, but you have to also bump up against people here. We got to find the margins that are here. There are times that we ourselves are the least of these um, and we need our community around us. How, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about how fluid that wall is and how we're going in and out of it. And that's the purpose of church. Can you tell me about how this community and what we do here as a church informs what you do outside the walls of the church? Well, I think what Preston says at the end of every service, go and love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I came across a quote a few weeks ago. Um, can't remember the rabbi's name, but it was a Jewish rabbi. It says, your neighbor is not a geographic term. Mm. And that really struck me because I look at what we do, who our neighbors are to the physical church of Second Baptist. And, and so they are our neighbors. But my neighbors are not just who live on my street. And they're not just people who look like me, act like me, think like me. And that is where I am challenged at Second as as to what my faith means and how that incorporates every human being period hmm. that's some hard work yes yeah. people with a lot hmm. of different needs that's what we do it together i think yeah and a lot of people like want to we look at the Bible and we learn from the Bible. We learn from the words of what the word of God, but you know, we want to look at like poor people or hungry people or those with leprosy, like people that he was interacting with and healing, healing um, as people on the margins. And that, that is true now, but if what we have to do is like, look at our own world, look at our own community you know, look, you know, with what he was saying with who's our neighbor, it's who are on the margins here and now. And who do the powers that be want to build a fence around to keep out? And that's where we need to go. Which is scary yeah. and hard yeah. and unpopular. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think you know, that, one of the initiatives that we're involved with, um, or that I'm involved with right now, is voter registration. And there's so many people that want to go, oh, wait, wait, no, don't, don't we have separation of church and state? <laughs> and, and that's been a challenge for me to figure out how I'm going to answer that to others. But, but the most important thing I think that, that I see is that Second Baptist is, is trying to be a part of everything in the world, be it, be it how we help our neighbor become registered to vote because their voice counts. Mm-hmm. If their voice isn't being heard, we need to help their voice be heard. And so, you know, I look at the practical ways that we try to um, make sure that the faith and justice thing that really are not separate things, how we can practically live that out. Which is a really good example of places where we've drawn fences to keep people out, right? We we're trying to knock down those fences so that everyone gets their voice and voter registration is a really good example of where we've put people on the margins. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and in the Bible, when that person asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, Jesus shared the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. And you're right, it's not just this geographic marker, but um, people who we might disagree with, people who we might see as other, um, people that we don't want to typically associate with, um, those are the people that God calls us to draw near to. Um, so, and as Katie reminded us earlier, that's where we find Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, interested to hear who are you listening today? Who are the prophets, um, the so-called prophets that are informing um, your perspective on justice and the way that you live out justice in your life. Can you tell me some authors or podcasts or um, shows maybe even that you're listening to? I mean, this isn't going to be anything like fancy that you can go out and find, but, um, my, my kids are kind of the prophets in my life. Amen. Um, you know, they're, they're very wise. They're, they've got old souls, you know, and I think this next generation, there's a lot of negativity. Every generation thinks the next generation is like going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. Right. But I just don't want to be that way. I feel like we need to learn from the younger generations and, um, and they care. I I love watching my kids with their friends and how they treat people, how they talk to each other. I mean, they don't get along well all the time, but they're honest with each other. They support each other. Um, the way they are there with their friends, they try to include people who maybe don't have any friends. They're, they're just really great examples and, and really in a way profits to me. Um, there's a lot of authors. I mean, I can make a long list, but I'm not, I'm not good. It's too long. There's, I'll send you some links. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we can put stuff in the show notes, but absolutely. Our youth, um, challenge me in ways and our profits to me in ways that 
astound me every week in the way they're they're able to hold this more than bigger than we can and it keeps pushing me to the edges and I'm so very grateful what about you Vicki I think um yeah a lot of what Katie says I love listening to my kids but I love watching my grandchildren and seeing who their friends are and watching them run and give the biggest hugs to a gay couple that my son in Fayetteville, um, that it's their dearest, dearest friends. And my grandchildren don't have any concept at age three and four and five of anything about what a gay couple means. And that's how it should be. They are people who love each other and we should love them. And so just watching how there are, there appear to be no boundaries of who they want to associate with, love, be around. Um, that That's just a big thing to me. I love that. How they get to see the divine in mm. every person that they come yes. across. And teach us to do the same. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Yeah. Great teachers. Yeah. Y'all have been great teachers to us too. The way that you um, use your voice at second, the way you use your voice in the world, the way you are, will wrestle with hard questions with us and um, talk about difficult things um, so that we can be I loved how Preston said we um, we get, we're not really changing the world, but we're changing our turf, which is changing the world. Um, and you all make our turf better. So thank you for wrestling with us, so that um, the grass might be green here at Second and beyond. Um, we're so grateful for you. Yeah, thank you all. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Well, Kevin, that was episode one of season four. You know that was hard work. So much hard work. So much fun work. Being a host is terrifying, especially yeah. for an introvert like myself. Should we give it back to Preston next week? I would love that. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Happy season four, everyone. Send us your questions and your thoughts about faith and justice, and we'll try to get to those in the episodes ahead. I don't think we're completely done with hosting, but... Can we give all the questions to Preston? Yes. Oh, absolutely. We'll ask them. He'll answer them. Great. Yes. Fantastic. Um, I'm also really glad to know that I haunt him. So this has been an informative <laughs> podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope that you have a great week and that you might be people of faith and justice. As you go, go and love God with all your heart, and soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do so as if it's the most important thing in all the world, because it is. Thank you for listening to Because It Is. These are just some of the things that matter to us at Second Baptist Church downtown. If you enjoyed this conversation, please visit us online at 2bclr.com. That's the number 2bclr.com and like us on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Brittany Stilwell and edited by Randy Schoenig with Fresh Air Media.